Hey everyone, welcome to the Breakthrough Breakdown. In this podcast, we'll be breaking down the sermon from the previous week, diving into theological discussions, and even having some fun. Make sure to join us every Wednesday on Spotify, Apple Music, and download our Zion Lutheran Church app for more updates. And with that, we hope you enjoy the Breakthrough Breakdown. Hey, uh, welcome to the Breakthrough Breakdown. This is Jason. This is Kate. This is Kyla. And John. And John. <laughs> Save me for last. So we are on our last week of our new fall series uh, where we, the head overhead was Tove talking about God's goodness. But really we've been focusing on kind of our re, refocus of values and kind of our mission, what we're trying to accomplish. Excuse me. Uh, belong believe and become. And uh, today, the, today's topic, we're going to be looking at becoming. And what does that look like? Uh, so we just got finished with Sermon Read Through. For those who are listening or maybe you're checking it out for the first time, we actually record this earlier. We record it before we preach it, but it's usually right after the Sermon Read Through where we kind of go through. And uh, I want to real quickly, let's talk about those three words, uh, belong, believe, become. Is there one that's really stood out to you or for one that you're more excited about or one that for you thinks has hit home more for you personally? I'm really excited that we got to one, you know, when you do a series, we did Tove and then Belong and then Believe. And it felt like it just kept building on where each time we would say like, oh, I love this one. Oh, this is the yeah. the next best one. And it it really does build up. And I, and I was getting, I could feel the excitement to become like, how's he going to do it? Like, how are we going to connect this all together? What does it really mean to become more like Jesus? And I loved that eventually we get to that. It keeps cycling around that you never really stop with this excitement, that yeah. it doesn't end here, that you really keep going. So I really liked Become. I so was excited really for it. The last one? Okay. Yeah. How about you? How about you guys? Yeah. I would say that uh, Become is the, at least for me, is the hardest one because it feels like that's the one that is the most challenging, at least for me, where it's, it's kind of a, it's taking that next step into what God is calling of you. And when you find the space to belong, and hopefully Zion is that space um, where you feel you belong, yeah. and you take that step where you, you put your life, you trust in Jesus, and say, I believe. The becoming is that next step. It's like, well, what now? And you kind of yeah. wait there for a little bit, kind of question marks over your head like, uh, I, even though it's been a hot minute since I became a Christian, yeah, <laughs> 30, 32 years now. That's a oh, lot of minutes. That's a lot of minutes. I actually, I can still remember when I first became a Christian. I didn't know what that meant, but I was excited yeah. uh, because I knew it meant something different. Yeah. And uh, and the, the, I think the hard part is, is the longer I've been a Christian, the easier it is for me to forget that I'm still becoming. Yeah. Uh, and so sometimes we lose that. And I think that's that's a big one. How about you, Kyle? Is there mm-hmm. one that for you or is it? What's one that stood out for you or the whole thing? Or um, Honestly, I do like become as well, but just for variety. I really like the belong one too. Yeah. And I think because if we can't belong or as a church can't find a way to help people belong, they will never become in a sense. Yeah. So it's kind of the... In order to get to step number three, you have to go through the first one. I kind of think of like, what do you like better, Christmas or Easter? And it's like, well, you need Christmas to get the Easter, but they're mm-hmm. totally different. Like, belong, you need belong before you can become, but they're different. Yeah, and if, and honestly, if you didn't have Easter, Christmas wouldn't matter. Right. <laughs> I mean, Easter's my favorite, just saying. Yeah, yeah I, I think for me, um, 
each one as I was processing through, because even though we were we kind of talked through the words beforehand and what we were trying to accomplish with them, as I was prepping and just reading scripture and kind of trying to figure out what is God's heart in this and how does this affect Tov, right? Because the goal of Tov is we want to bring good, not just be good and do good, but we want to bring God's goodness and all the things that encompass good into the world. Um, belong actually, I think, hit me the most. Uh, and I, I don't get me wrong, I believe believe was really good, and I was reminded of why I believe and become. I like that there was a shift, and as I was reading through Scripture and as I was praying and processing and just kind of looking at my stuff, I can't think of how long that I thought the goal of becoming meant behavior changes. Like that's I'm gonna be I'm gonna be more like Jesus. I'm not gonna drink. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get angry. I'm not gonna do those things. And but this is why belonging, I think, stood out to me more, is that the more I belong to something, the safer I feel, the safer I feel, the more I don't feel like I have to perform. I just have to learn to be present. Mm-hmm. And when we talked about this, and we're gonna get into this today, but this whole idea of becoming, to become like Jesus means we become the love. We we begin to love like Jesus and not just love God, love others, but also learn to love myself. And and all, I, I'm sure I'm not the only one of this. Yeah. Loving myself seems to be the hardest one. I love that the verse, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Well, if you don't love yourself very well, how are you yeah. treating your neighbor? And Jesus, Jesus wasn't full of himself, but he was still full of love. He loved himself. He never, he never wrestled with doubt around his identity. He never wrestled with worth or value. And the reality for me, I think the difficult thing is I was processing through that scenario, God's still working on me. And, but this is why belonging hit me so much is that when I feel a part of a safe community, it's actually easier for me to love myself because I've got people around me who show me that I'm worthy of love. Because I forget that a lot. Yeah, it's really easy to forget that. And sometimes you're just like, especially on days or weeks where it's just like, oh my gosh, nothing's going right. Nothing's, there's just another hit against you and you start to think, well, maybe this is just because that I'm not very good or I, you know, it starts to become personal and you start to believe that about yourself. Yeah. Well, and we even talked about that, how belief actually shapes us, what we believe shapes us and it changes how we live, act and love. Um, When you guys, and I'm going to ask kind of a personal question, you can answer it if you want to, and I'll start just so that, you know, I'm not asking you guys to go where I haven't. Here we go. Um, What are some of the lies that, that you've believed either that you've told yourself and you don't have to get super personal, please don't, I'm not looking at therapy (laughs) here, but. I'll tell you one of the things for me, and it's a lie that I spoke over myself that really, uh, I talked about a little bit in the sermon, but I really didn't get into it all this much, is this idea of that I'm faking it all the time. The imposter syndrome, I kind of mentioned it. And there's actually, there's been great studies on this that show the more successful you are, real honest people all feel like none of them deserve to be where they are. Yeah. Yeah. And that they're all just, if anybody really knew the truth about me, they'd go, that guy shouldn't be a lead pastor. <laughs> I, I, that's, that's one yeah. of the lies that I still, and I look at like the, my brokenness in the areas of my life where I still struggle with certain beliefs or behaviors. And almost on a daily basis, it's one of those things where the enemy or myself tries to influence. And that's, that's something that God's been working pretty heavily on for the last several years. But um, going through this sermon and prepping for it, I kind of came face to face with it. Where I remember writing this and going, I feel like such a fraud. Oh, I love I love that you're talking about that too. I, I think it's called Kroger Dunning. 
where there's, you know, Wasn't when you- was in Crocodile Dundee? Ha! I love Crocodile <laughs> But where it's like, okay, you start out as an amateur in something and you think, yeah, I can really do this. And then Amazing. as you learn more, your confidence dips yes. down. But then as you start to master it, you level back out. But as a true master in something in your field, which I would consider you are a master in your field, Jason. Oh, thank you. I think That's you're coming. an excellent pastor. You're a good friend and you do a good job. You're very well-spoken and well-educated and it shows. And that when you truly do, the more you know, the more you know you don't know. Yes. That's a real thing. And well, and I still, I think and I've shared this before when I was in, when I was in school for my MDiv, um, and I've probably shared this even on the podcast before. I had this, I had this, uh, um, a professor who had two PhDs. Yeah. And I asked him a question from, uh, I wanted to get his opinion on something in Revelation. He goes, well, I don't have an opinion on that. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, well, I don't know. You have two PhDs. You, you should know everything. And yes, and I thought yeah. because the, I thought the more you know, the more educated you were. And here's the thing: I realized is, uh, I used to think before I went to school that having a bachelor's degree meant you knew a lot. A bachelor's is like the bottom floor of the education, where it's just enough it's to make you general. dangerous. It is, and it's just enough to make you dangerous. Yeah. Because I can't tell you. Well, I've got my bachelor's, and I remember people saying that all the time. Be like, oh, well, you must be an expert. I finished my bachelor's degree and I'm like, I don't feel like I'm really any more prepared. I just have a yeah. better base. Right. Your your initial, um, what is that? Like entry level, it has a better setup. Yeah. And but then, you're still entry level, friend. Once I got into my MDiv and started working through my master's and dealing with systematic theology and critical thinking theologically and scripture and language and, uh, you know, dealing with people that are exponentially smarter than me and this guy going, I'm an expert on Romans chapter one through seven. You want to talk through that? I'm an expert on that. Everything else, I don't know. Yeah. And so much of my identity when I was younger was found out. I, f I felt it was about my ability to always have answers. And I still feel like sometimes I feel that, but I catch myself in that trap of going, it's okay to say, I don't know. Yeah. And it's yeah. also given me real freedom. But the downside of that is then I do, I question, I'm like, oh my gosh, can I really? Do I really know this? Do I really, am I really the guy to do this? <laughs> yeah. So I appreciate the encouragement yeah. and I didn't share it for looking for that. But if I'm honest, that's one of the lies that sometimes gets in the way of me becoming what God wants me to be. How about you guys? What are some, are there lies that you can point that get in the way of becoming? Not to get Enneagram, but I am an Enneagram too, which are these nine personality types. Which and I think some point we're going to do a podcast. On oh, that'd be so cool. I would Please. love to yeah. do that. Um, I really do enjoy that because as a child, even I didn't realize that, it, you know, the Enneagram gave me vocabulary to explain these things about myself and, and also skills, a tool belt to be able to go beyond this box that my personality puts yeah. me in. So anyway, about the two is that I had lived in this lie that I am unlovable. And I, I did that as a child. I did that as a teenager in and out of toxic relationships as a young adult. I did that again. I was a single mother for 10 years where I felt like I'm unlovable. And now I'm even more so because not only was I a Christian, which is hard to find a dating field, but I'm a Christian. <laughs> I'm a Christian with a child. There's like four people standing and finally John Hopple was like, I'll do it. <laughs> My husband. Um, so I, I definitely believe this lie that I was unlovable. And when I found Jesus and I truly started to understand the character of God, the father and how he truly loved me and what kind of love that the action of love that Jesus was calling me into, it freed me from that yeah. lie. And that's the becoming like, and, and yeah. we actually, it was, as I was pro prepping for this, 
I started with the lies we believe about ourselves because then those lies, the lies we have about believing in who God is and what God wants for me, yes. those also affect who I become. Yeah, yeah it's like a know. bias that we have that affects, yes. I, I'm going to always see God, the Father, or the Trinity even yeah. through this lens of my lie that I am unlovable. Yeah. How about you guys? Anything that stands out? Um, I would say I also love the Enneagram speak. Yeah. So we've got two nines in the room. <laughs> Represent. Represent. <laughs> um, but one of the, <laughs> one of the things that, I worked through after like learning about the tendencies of, oh, why do I do what I do? Um, one of the things that hits home is your presence matters. Mm. So having that spoken over me as a truth always means so much. But going back to the lie side of it then is just that, am I good enough? Am I doing enough? Am I worthy enough? But mm. then if I'm defining that over who God says I am, yeah, that's messed up. <laughs> so no, you have to start with who God says you are because my opinion doesn't matter that much. Like mm. you can't, mm. I can't trump God's opinion on who he says that I am. So yeah. that's one that I've kind of worked through. Yeah. How about um, you? Well, I think that for a while I didn't even realize that I was believing it, which is kind of the insidious thing about those. Is it insidious a fun word to say? It is. It really is. Um, it's, it's the idea that whatever it is, the next I'll say the next step I'm taking in my career or my life or my relationships, that it has to be perfect. And by perfect, I'm meaning like, I have to know exactly where I'm going and what's going to happen to sign on. And I didn't Mm -hmm. even realize that I was doing that, but just so many circumstances in my life led me down paths that I'm like, there's no way I would have picked this. There's no way I would have been going down these, these roads. And I can, I can see myself going, you know what? It's, it's okay to follow where God's leading. And that's leading into like leaning into believing and trusting in God yeah. to take the next step, not knowing where it's going to end up. Um, and then along the way, you know, you find that you become more and more what God is shaping you to be. And it's only when it's only, now I can look back a little bit and go, Oh, I see it. I get it now. I see where this has been leading and I see the kind of the path to get me where I've, where I've been. But it's, yeah, it's believing that lie of, I need to know where I'm going. I need to know what the next step is 100% or I'm not taking it. Well, and I think, I think when we now move it from our personal beliefs about ourselves and I wonder how many people are you know, they come to church, they belong to a church, right? Like this, so this is my community. I like these people. I may not agree with, I may not always believe it, but then they move to belief. But I, I wonder how many people don't take that step to say, I want to be all in mm-hmm. because they also have these wrong beliefs about God that partly, and about what it means to become like Jesus that have one have been shaped by the church. And I'm guilty of this as a pastor who's preached and teach for 20 years now. I can look back on some things that I've spoken over people as, as from the pulpit that I thought were encouraging and well, but really what they were were shame or they were performance or they were scarcity, which we talked a little bit about those three things, scarcity, um, uh, either, you know, you're, you've done too much deeds or you need to have more shame. You need to feel worse about what you're doing. Yeah. And I, I did it from a good place. I wasn't trying to be mean, but I, I can say even for me, sometimes my own theology about who God was got in the way of me wanting to actually following Jesus. Yeah. Because I thought the goal was to become like Jesus meant I had this list of things that I now had to act like. Like that's what it meant to become like Jesus is I acted, I did certain things. 
And you'll, John, you'll appreciate this. The problem with acting is you don't actually have to believe it to act like it. No, it's true. And it's the difference between being an actor and actually being a real person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I, as I was as I was studying and kind of reading through scripture, there's this theme that comes over and over again. And I, I actually looked up the word God is, and then to find out what the, the use that were most the words that were most used. Now we all know God is love. Yeah. Like, First John tells us God is love. In fact, we talked about that on Sunday. The other one was God is just. Yeah. But I, there's really not any other compassions where God is defined as something other as than just and love and holy. Yeah. Like that's another one. But love is the defining thing that talks about who God is. And so then as we started talking about becoming and as I was writing this, because I'll be honest, when I first started Writing, well, that was my stomach. My stomach was like, you're hungry. Um, we snacked before. We, yeah. <laughs> yes, we did. Um, but I'll be honest. I came into this going, okay, I'm going to be, we're going to talk about becoming is what does it look like to become a Christian? What are the behaviors? And then as I started studying and reading scripture and looking at the person of Jesus, I was more and more captured by this idea that what does it mean to bring Tove, that goodness of God? If it's about me needing to act and be, act certain ways to become like Jesus, why Buddhists do that? Yeah. Buddhists are compassionate. Buddhists are generous people. Atheists can be generous. Mm-hmm. And then that's when it hit me is what if it's the goal is to become like Jesus in that how we love? Yeah. And it shaped every I mean it I got I got my I got rocked in this message mm-hmm. and a few things and I'll share a little bit later some things that God kind of called me out on. Um when you think about the love of God and here's the thing love actually translates into action because it's mm-hmm. not a feeling. So then, yes, you do become more moral. You do become more ethical, but they're the byproduct. They're the natural overflow of that. I was going to say, I feel like sometimes I can focus on the overflow of like, well, I need to do the right things or say the right things or, or love in a particular way. But those come naturally. Those are the things yeah. that flow out of that right relationship. Yeah. And, and so what do you guys, when we think about it, I mean, what are the, some of the, the things that maybe you've picked up in church? that maybe are not necessarily, they're not wrong. They're just not fully accurate because does God, I mean, the Bible's very clear. We are expected to live and act certain ways, but I think that can get in the way of people wanting to become because they think they're thinking, they're focusing on the wrong thing. Are there ones that stand out for you? Absolutely. I think my salvation is still really close. And I say that sometimes jokingly, like when I'm about to lose my temper, I'm like, my salvation is real close. Like I'll step back. No problem. Just kidding. though. <laughs> but I think about it, how much I've grown, even in just the six years, um, you even know, just in as, the last year, Kate. even just in the last year. Absolutely. And I continue to grow. And I think that sometimes we get this idea or uh, we have an idea of what a mature Christian is and how yeah. long it is and how many check marks we have. That means that, well, I've been going to church for 10 years and I've gone to 36 out of the 52 Sundays this year and I've taken notes at four of those sermons. So thank you very much. I do have a mature Christian faith, you know, and it's like, that's not the goal. That's not what we're talking about here. This idea of this checkmark system, this milestone system that we have, that we hold ourselves to, it's natural for a human being to try to have these benchmarks that say, yeah. am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? You know, instead of trusting that where God is leading you is going to look different, that this faith journey that we're on, as we go deeper into understanding, does look different for everyone. And yeah. so you you know, something that I read 
I remember being a new Christian, reading Psalm 23 and being like, has anyone heard of this? This is great. Do you guys know what this is? And people have. Have you ever heard of Psalm 23? Yeah. It talks about a shepherd. It's so good, you guys. His cup overflows. That's so good. You know, and people laugh, but it was like with this fresh eyes. And I still continue to study Psalm 23, even though sometimes it feels like a cliche in this Christian culture, but it's not that, that the psalmist really had things to say. And I think I continue to try to look at even things that now feel, um, oh, I already know that if I, if I start to get in this pattern of my life where I feel like, oh, I already know that I don't, there's nothing else for me to learn here. I'm done. I'm stagnant. I'm sorry. I'm not Christ. I still have more to learn here. And I try to keep that, that freshness to me. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. I feel like that was that was something that I was thinking about as I was processing your question, was that sometimes a lot of the, you know, because I I've I, I like to read. I've read a lot of these stories from the scriptures from the Bible, and I've heard them dozens of times for Christmas, especially Christmas and Easter. You know, you hear similar passages over and over again, and it starts to feel like, yeah, yeah. skip ahead. Let's let's just. Let's just blur forward. I know all this. Like, but do you? Do I? Do I actually know this? Do I know what this means? And is there something, is there still something to learn about it? Because otherwise, yeah, it's like you can hit the check mark and go, yeah, I believe. Done. Which we talked about that last week was yeah. like Christianity is a set of beliefs. Yeah. And that's all it is. Like, I believe Jesus was born of the Virgin. I believe, check, 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 as if that's the goal. And the demons believe that. Yeah. Yeah. Demons know that Jesus was born of a virgin. They know that yeah. Jesus died for the sins of humanity. Yep. You're now just sharing facts. <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. How about how about you? Anything that for some things maybe you've in, learned over the years or things about God that sometimes get in the way that misunderstanding about who God is? Um, I think going back to reading scripture, when I started reading it through the lens of discovering who God is or what am I learning about God or what does this tell me about God's character, that was kind of just a new light for me Yeah, because it was a less of how can I take this and apply it to my own life, Yeah, which so often I think many people can get stuck in. It's like, no, this is more about the creator. This isn't, This isn't something on, this isn't a life book on how you should do your life. Yes. So in fact, you'll run into some problems if that's what it is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because there are some things that are especially out of context that, and I do think um, when I talk to to people that are more maybe scientific or philosophical minded, um, who uh, I I think of one, one friend of mine who's come to Zion periodically, he's a very intellectual person. And for him, he struggles with, there are things in scripture that just don't intellectually line up with him. And a lot of it is because of how the church, particularly evangelicalism, which we're at, we are a evangelical, um, that we've made scripture to be a, a life book yeah. or it's a science book. Yeah. And you get somebody who's scientifically minded and they're reading through Genesis chapter one and two and going, yeah, what I see in the world doesn't line up with what's in here. Yeah. Literal doesn't always mean material. That's right. Just because something, we are supposed to take scripture literally. Absolutely. It's a literary thing, but it doesn't always mean that that was what was materially happening in that moment, that that's exactly what creation looked like in that moment. That's, you're missing the point, Ben. That's because they're not scientists. Well, Tim Mackey from the Bible Project. I love the Bible Project. um, He actually talks about that. We have to read it literarily. Yes. And so when we're trying to read literal, yes, they're literal words. Yes, there were literal people who wrote them 
But we get hung up in the weeds when all of a sudden we try and make it about, well, this has to be this because it's literally in the word. Yeah. Which is a rather new obsession in the history of Christianity. Yeah. Like for thousands of over a thousand years, they didn't they weren't worried about uh, that there were things in Scripture that didn't line up or incongruencies or yeah. inconsistencies. It, I think like, we're too far removed from the context, the human context and yeah. human experience of the writers of the Bible. Yeah. So then we, we, we give it our own new ideas, context, yeah. our own new, new context, context, a well, modern context. And it's usually because we're reacting to something in modern. Yeah. So once science uh-huh. became the, the primary language of our culture, well, the Bible religion doesn't seem to mesh with science, science, so we better make the Bible scientific. Yeah. And in doing so, we actually rob the Bible of its beauty. Yeah. And I think, I agree, I think that can get in the way. And so learning to read the Bible is, what is it saying about God, about yeah. God's character? I think that's great. That's Kyle. a great point. Do you, um, you know, we, we also talked about that when, uh, yes, there are things that God wants us to get rid of. There are things that God wants us to take off, to avoid. But the difference between having to and wanting to and and I think about like when I was my when I first started dating, man, I wanted to buy flowers for my girlfriend, right? <laughs> I remember this. I wanted. Yeah. I drew. I was an artist. I drew in high school, and and uh, and I was I was pretty decent. I wasn't amazing. I've always been good at things, never great at things. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember drawing it. Man, I would spend hours drawing for my girlfriend. I wanted to. I didn't have to, but the more and more that I moved away from the feeling of love. The less I wanted to do it, now things became a chore. And so I I think about how the difference when love really gets a hold of you, when you love something, you want to do it. You don't have to. And it's like my children. We, we I don't know if I, I think about as a parent, my wife called me out on this because I had heard this from so many dads. She'd be gone for the night or weekend and I would say things like, yeah, I have to watch the kids tonight. Yeah. Like I'm a babysitter, not a dad. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. And but that's part of our culture is that women are the ones who stay home, the mothers are the nurturers. Oh, I have to do this. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I thought you were their dad, not their babysitter. Which which yeah. is it? And I was like, Oh, snap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, when you when we think about this idea of love, when love really gets a hold of us, it changes our desires from a have to to want to. Yeah, I think of like, especially for new relationships, even a new relationship as a young Christian, and we see these young Christians, young in their faith, I mean, not just like a young person. You can be young in your faith and be at whatever age. But I mean, um, it's like this infatuation, right? Yeah. And we get this enticement from that, that this excitement that drives our willingness. And then we were talking about it with relationships, like you get to this seven-year edge and like this 12-year divorce rate. Yeah. And we we start to lose that excitement. We're like, oh, where did it go? And it's like, well, where were your action steps? You lost infatuation, which is a natural biological process in your brain. Yeah. Hormones are firing because that's what you're biologically designed to do. And when you lose that, you don't know how to maintain the action. You don't know how to maintain the excitement. And that's where one community comes in to help you stay engaged. And we were talking about that mirroring. I don't know if we've skipped over that, but we haven't gotten there yet. Yeah. Okay. So you, we talk about that, like engagement with community, but also like, and I'm thinking of a relationship, John and myself, we're still newlyweds. We got married in May, but things start to like honeymoon phase starts to fizzle out. Right. right? And it's like, how do you keep that alive? And it's intentional actions every day. The willingness, I have a willingness to love my husband well 
do I have a resistance? Do I always want to do I Sometimes I want to glare at him and be like, what did you just say? <laughs> but I have to, I have a willingness to not talk like that. So that doesn't I have happen to in anybody else's marriage, <laughs> just yours. My, my yeah. marriage, I've never had that. With, with my All the wives are rolling their eyes <laughs> right now. Yeah, everybody else has got to figure it out. Kylo, you've got, I mean, you guys yeah. do and Joel don't struggle with that. I know. No, no, I think a resistance. Just you. It's just you. <laughs> I think that resistance doesn't mean you're unwilling. That's right. Mm -hmm. That you have to be willing to push through that resistance. But that resistance, if you lean into it and you say, well, I don't really want to. And then it's going to turn into, I'm not going to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And now it's rebellion. It's and now rebellion. you're in rebellion. Yeah. Well, and, and I think even we look at our relationship with God and, um, when I first became a Christian, I can still remember that feeling of when I first became a Christian. Like I was excited. Yeah. God's going to do something. I didn't know. I didn't know what it meant. And everything was new. I've been a Christian for 32 years now. That's more than I've been alive. And I've not, <laughs> I've certainly not always been faithful in that. But I think the, the more I started working through and realizing that the goal of becoming was not about my perfection, my behaviors lining up as if the pinnacle you know this. This is how you know. This is how you know a good Christian because they do X, Y, and Z, and that's a trap that's so easy to fall into. And it yeah. also may, it takes the joy. Yes, it takes all the joy of being. If, I, if I'm worried about this checklist of things that I have to do in order to prove I'm becoming like Jesus, yeah. Instead of focusing on the love of Jesus and learning to and understand that love, and you know, let's. <laughs> I love the fact that Megan. Anybody who knows Megan is and her her family, she's like, uh, we might want to clarify what we mean by that because like my dad, my brother, and probably even her are like, that's love has such a mushy word. It's too mushy. Yeah. It's too mushy. It's it's such a broad word too. You know, it's like, yeah, there's that romantic love. That's what I think of immediately when I hear the word love is like, oh love. Oh Cupid. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but there I mean, there's different versions to it. There's different uh, sides to it, I guess you could yeah. say. Yeah. Well, and, and that's the part is, is that when Jesus defines love, he's not talking about erotic love. No. He's not talking about that heart, that Twitter painting from, you know, <laughs> Bambi. It's not the, the young love that I had for my first girlfriend or the love that I even had for my wife. It's uh, when we first met or even on our wedding day. It's a love through faithfulness. It's a love that leads to transformation. But I think that's part of the problem is, is, you have people that are not mushy gushy, and that's what love is attached to. Yeah. And yet God is consistently defined by his love. Well, and there's there's that that bias of of our lies that we believe. You know, if you believe that the only kind of love is this eros love, this erotic love, this whenever, romantic love. Whenever I feel it, love. Yeah. Whenever I feel it, love, then you you're letting that bias affect the character of God and your understanding of that. And and you look at how Jesus treated people. Well, the woman caught in adultery yeah. in John chapter eight, which we could get into. There's, if you're familiar with the story, and I'm assuming most people are, woman's trapped in adultery. Uh, she, it's, it's set up as a trap by the religious leaders because really they want to trap Jesus. So they use this woman. Yeah. How horrific is that? Right. Uh, the man's nowhere to be seen. They drag her out, most likely half naked because she was caught in the, the act of adultery. And they drag her before Jesus to try and trick Jesus to figure out what's, what's the rule. Because law says this woman should be stoned for being caught in adultery. And just if we get the idea of the setup, if it was erotic love that Jesus had, the way he would have treated her would have been significantly different. He wouldn't yeah. have cared about her. He would have cared only about his own needs. Yeah. 
And that's what erotic love and is And probably about. would have turned to disgust yes. in that moment. Or, or yeah, and, and even and that at that point we would have read it and it would not have been love. It would yeah. have been lust or it could have been any number of things. Yeah. And the way he handles love for her is not erotic. In fact, some, some commentaries believe that when it says that he looked down, it's partly because he didn't want to embarrass her. She was already feeling ashamed in her nakedness. So averting his eyes down, he's honoring her. Yeah. Instead of focusing on her nakedness, which all the religious leaders are standing around looking at her nakedness. Mm. And how did he show love? Well, he showed love through compassion, through not condemning her, through extending forgiveness, through giving her a new sense of identity, not defined by her sin or her brokenness, but by something new. Yeah. And over and over when we look at Jesus, the love that he gives is so different than the way we understand love. Yes. And I think that's a big thing. When when you think about this idea of God's love, what does God's love look like for you? And I, I know for yeah. me, here's part of what I'm learning, and I, I'm still wrestling with it. I've often heard things like, you know, God disciplines those he loves straight from Scripture. But what I always taught was that God's discipline was that if you do something enough, then God's going to punish you because he loves you. And so he's going to take things away or he's going to cause suffering. And, and I do believe sin causes suffering. And I believe God could do that. But I realized is that sometimes the way God loves me is by giving me what I want. Mm -hmm. And it's not him causing the suffering. It's him saying, if this is what you want, I love you enough to let you have that. I'm just reaping what I sowed. Yeah. And that's hard in love to do because we want a God who rescues and you're not, no, I don't want you to do that. Like we protect our children from yeah. touching a hot stove. Mm -hmm. But in Romans chapter one, the wrath of sin, the wrath of God is God gives us over to our sin. Yeah. That's actually the most loving thing he can do. And I can't fathom that. I think that if you're a parent of any boy out there, that you learn that boys experience the world in a very different way than little girls and that the school system isn't really set up for the little boy. The little boy is literally designed to test boundaries. You tell him it's hot. You can tell him a hundred times it's hot. And there are some girls that are like and that too. And there are some girls but, like yes, that as but well, definitely but boys. just by, definitely, definitely boys, boys experience yeah. the world in a different way that it's natural for a man to try to test that boundaries. I need to know where my bounds are. And when God I think of that kind of love, that kind of discipline where it's like, I have told you where your bounds are and I'm going to let you find them yeah. because when you find them, you're going to come back and I will always be here for you. And even if that boundary, and this is the hardest part of creation, even if that boundary is we actually reject God. Absolutely. He gives us that choice. That mm -hmm. is God's love. The choice to choose to love him. Hell is an act of love and we can't, we think of hell as torture. Yes. Uh, Joshua Ryan Butler in his book, The Skeletons in God's Closet. Um, phenomenal book, by the way, actually says that hell is us not wanting God to be king. And God doesn't, hell is not torture, it's torment, because torment is internal, torture is external. Mm. And we have this weird picture of like Bugs Bunny and little Satan jabbing and going, ha, ha, ha. no, Satan's yeah. going to be tormented in hell too. Actually, Satan will be tortured in hell. Mm. But for those who are not Satan, because Satan willfully knew exactly what he was doing, um, Human beings make the choice to not let God be king, but that's the hard part. It's a faith choice. Mm -hmm. And the torment, and this is the illustration that Joshua Ryan Butler gives, it's like saying, hey, you can come to this party. You can come to this party. You can come to this party. All right, the doors are going to be closing. You sure you don't want to come? Sure you don't want to come? And the, the, the walls of the house are all glass, and now the doors are shut, and all you see is all the wonderful food and the laughter and the joy inside, and you're outside in the cold and the wet and the rain. 
you're not being tortured. You're tormented because you made the choice to not go to the party. Yeah. That's what hell is. And I think of that when we see the prodigal son. Yeah. I always think of, you know, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees there. He's talking to the older brother. Yeah. He's talking to the brother and he leaves it hanging at the end of the story yeah. of the prodigal son. When he comes back and my, my son was lost and now he's found, let's throw a party. And the older brother is like, dad, I've been here. Yeah. I've been, what about, what about me? Yeah. And he says, I'm letting you choose to come in. And that's where he leaves it. And it's like, I connected with that as well. Or it's like, I get to choose you. Am I going to go in there? Yeah. Yeah. You can, you can resent that life isn't, uh, life isn't fair to you as it's like, what, that, 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 what, why, why did I give him the, <laughs> yeah. the, the rewards, I guess you can say, I've been here the whole time too. It's like, you still that's get those, point. yeah. Yes, you are here. And you didn't have to experience the heartache of going and yes. spending your money on prostitutes. Everything and... I have is yours. That's right, yeah. 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 Well, in, in 1 John 4, when it talks about love and God is love and that perfect love casts out fear, even this idea of that the more you understand perfect love, fear has no place in love. And, yeah. and the more that I'm understanding, this goes back to what God's been working in me, the more that I understand God's love, the less I fear and the less I fear, the less I try and do things to massage my fear. Because a lot of, and this is, so this goes back to the Enneagram. Mm -hmm. So in the head type, which is five, six, and seven. So you have three types or three, three triads or three uh, emotional kind of ways we deal with stuff. Mm -hmm. You have the head type, heart type, and the gut type. Okay. Head types, their core emotion is fear. Mm -hmm. It's the thing that leads us. So five, six, and sevens, they're all rooted in fear. Uh, and the gut type, which is eight, nine, and one, theirs are just internal knowing. They just know. It's a gut sense. And then in two, three, and four, they're all about the heart. They feel, they make decisions based upon feeling. And we all have access to all three, but we have a primary operating system, right? Mm -hmm. So I had no idea. Before I knew anything about the Enneagram, uh, someone asked me, they said, Jason, what do you think is the root cause of sin? And I was like, I think it's fear. Mm -hmm. I think fear is the root cause of sin. I'm an Enneagram seven, which is in the fear triad. And then I was talking to somebody who's not in the, and again, for years, I taught that I believe the root cause of sin, every sin comes down to fear. Yeah. And then I talked to somebody who's not in my triad and like, well, I think it's shame. So those in two, three, and four, yeah. I think it's envy. And then I started talking and anger is the, the core emotion of eight, nine, and one of the, the gut triad. And like, I think it was angry. And I go back to Adam and Eve. Like, I think Adam and Eve were like, what do you mean we, we can't experience good and evil? It's that fear of missing out or that fear of that somehow they're going to be less than. But someone in the eight, nine, or one is going to be like, no, they were angry that God told them they couldn't do something. <laughs> and someone yeah. in the shame tribe is like, no, they, they felt shame or envy that they were missing out on, on knowing the most or experiencing the most. And, mm -hmm. and it made me realize how much of how sin for me is rooted in fear. Yeah. And so when it says perfect love casts out all fear, I was like, wow, I think about the times in my life that I sin. Almost, it's almost always driven by a fear. But I'm curious for those of you in like, for you as a two or you guys as nines. Mm -hmm. So if anger, I know nines like to bury their anger. This is mm -hmm. becoming an Enneagram podcast. I know, I love what it. are you talking about? What anger? Yeah, yeah what I'm going to have to think about that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I think of my shame that I have, especially with that, that we were talking about that love, that um, the lie of being unlovable and that shame that I have of who I am inherently. And then God's love comes in and he shows, and what I see a lot when I'm looking through scripture in the lens and what I'm trying to understand of God's character, it usually has this, um, this lens of unconditional, of um, 
unexpected. You know, that's why I'm saying like yeah. the prodigal son and the the older son, this unexpected love that you find at the end of the story is like, you can come in or not. That that unexpected, unconditional, when he sees the the woman caught in, in adultery and he says, is no one left to accuse you? Yeah. Is no one left standing without sin? Then go and sin no more. And I would think if I were in her shoes, I'd be like, you bet. You know, and we think of the woman at the well that he tells her. You talked about last week. Which yeah, we talked yeah. about last week. And he tells her, you're right. You don't have a husband. And you have five. You, you have five. You've and the man you're with. You've had five. five and the man you're with isn't your husband. <laughs> and she's like, okay, I see that you're a prophet. And he continues to give her that first I am statement in the book yeah. of John. Her. This adulterous, shame-filled woman at yeah. the well at noon in the desert. This shame-filled woman gets the I am statement and she goes back and tells them, come and meet the man that told me everything yeah. I'd ever done. I'm in the living water, yeah. Right? And it's just like this unconditional, unexpected, overwhelming love. That's what I think of. And that fights that lie that I am unlovable. Would you say that perfect love casts out shame and anger? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, I was, uh, yeah, I was thinking about how I'm viewing God's love and and sometimes Sometimes I think I get sometimes I think I get into my head where I'm like, if I just kind of close down on well, especially anger, but if I just close down and and kind of coast through things, if I if I don't really stir things up or if I don't make a, a fuss about things, then that will be reciprocated. Like we'll be fine. Like me and God, you know, we're good. You know, I believe in God and I know that God loves me, very, you know, knowledge, knowledgeable, a very head knowledge there, then we'll be good. Yeah. But the thing that, you know, catches me off guard is that God is constantly pursuing, like to the extent that which he goes is so much greater. Obviously, it's so much greater than me. But it's just like, that's the kind of love that God's calling me to. And I'm like, what if it? people what if it doesn't come back to me it's like that's not the point no that's not the point it's yeah. god has loved me so much more than i could ever ask Whoa. or imagine so this just made me think of something and i'm curious so like when i hear that like if it's not reciprocated i'm afraid it's not going to be reciprocated if it's not reciprocated or does it shame oh it that? shames me because there's something inherently wrong with me then and do you get angry if it's not reciprocated yeah, or it's what like, a wasted time. What a waste of time. Yeah, I think that's probably yeah. a thing. Yeah, what a waste of time or a waste of effort. But and it makes I think me of angry. how many times that God has shown that to me, but just to everybody as well. Like, and it has gone unreciprocated. Is that does a waste God of time? ever feel like he's no. wasted eternity on? Yeah, him? right. Yeah, no, of course not. Of course it's not. um, we I we did this fun illustration game where we did the cup, yeah. the the water in. And we talked about this idea is that the full cup, the one that's to the brim, there's that fear. That though, though, uh, it's this fear of, oh my gosh, I can't spill any. And so you end up slowing down. Instead of enjoying the game or being present, you're, you're constantly balancing it. Whereas the one with the half full cup, it's a little bit more freeing. Right. And you've had to, you've had to shed something to get half full, right? Yeah. And that's the grace. I mean, right. I had to, I had to get rid of that lie that was filling up half of my cup. And I think when I think this is the idea where I was going with this is that 
if we're, if the thing I'm carrying around is that I have to be perfect, I can't spill anything. I can't enjoy life. I can't enjoy my salvation. I'm so worried about losing something. And you're yeah. focused on it. When you're the, just yeah, eyes when the, glued to the cup yeah. and what's in it. Like, don't spill. Don't make a mess. Yep. When the reality is if it's half full, there's still something there. And like, I can, I still have to do, I still do good things. I, yeah. I have to, I'm called to. That's James. I'll know your faith by your deeds. Yeah. But the evidence, it's not about my perfection. It's now I get to actually enjoy. And, and in fact, I think, ooh, this, this just, as we're talking about, this kind of hit me. Mm. What if uh, when we first become a Christian, God says, hey, your, your cup's a little too big. You need to small it a little bit. You need to bring it down and have less water in there. You've, you're trying to do too much. Like, yeah. I remember when I first became a Christian, yeah. I, oh, I need to stop cussing. I need to stop doing all these things. And eventually I did. But what I found is when I tried to focus on not cussing, I'd end up cussing more just in my heart. Yes, that's a real psychological thing. Yeah, like don't think about a banana. Don't think about Eat a banana. Don't banana. Think about Actually, <laughs> fun fact, about 2% of all population cannot physically picture something in their head when you say something like that. If I said purple apple, we all see a purple apple. I don't see Two- a purple apple. Well, you're rare. I'm the 2%. Yeah. I see a, I see a, a, a purple granny Smith. I feel like oh. you... Are a bit of a turd. (laughs) (laughs) And I think about 50% of the population is like that. (laughs) But but we think of this this idea of like when it talks about the joy of salvation, how can I enjoy my salvation if I'm worried about losing it all the time or doing the wrong thing? And I'd be curious, Kyla and John, for you as nines and and for you as an this became an Enneagram podcast. I know I totally did. You did it. You turned it there. Sorry. Um What's the what's the thing for you guys for for nines that tend to be more concerned about you you tend to think about everybody else's own needs and desires and thoughts and opinions over your own sharing that idea of the cup what do you, what what do you worry about what comes to mind for you when that that full cup what does that look like for you guys um I would say for me personally it's first identifying that I do have my own cup oh like, wow. at all <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. So that- oh, it's not part of Kate's cup and Jason's cup and John's cup. Like, no, like I do, as Kyla, have a cup. Yeah. Some things that I want and need. Oh, they, oh, they're, it's right there. That, oh. They're, they're yeah. here. Oh. And I think, I don't know. I, that's a big thing, I think, for a lot of different nines. I have a few nines in my life. We like to talk about this. Stuff. There are a lot of nines on staff. Yeah. yeah. Does that rob you of the joy of, of salvation at times? Like, does that rob you of joy when you worry about everybody or your own cup too much? Um, not necessarily. I think sometimes like what John was saying, like you have the head knowledge of I'm not saved by my deeds. I'm not saved by the check boxes. So having that head knowledge, it's like, okay, you kind of go back to being confident in your own identity and who you are and knowing that you do have a cup, but not to say that that's like a, something, you know, I don't work through a lot. Yeah. Yeah. You need to recognize your own cup more often. That's yeah. where your struggle is. Yeah, because yep. you tend to think about everybody else's cup. Right. That's the that's the sin or the struggle of the nine is they they're so focused on everybody else they forget themselves. Yeah. Yep. And their own needs and and that fear. Yeah. How about you? I would say that I definitely know I have a cup. I am I am quite self aware, but I don't stop myself from taking part of your thing so that your cup can be half full and your cup can be half full and your cup can be half full. And I got this guys. I got this. Look how big my cup is. See, I am definitely useful to have around and very lovable. Look how big my cup is. You obviously can't get rid of me. You need me to take your water. I'll be the full cup. You guys are fine. 
that's my fear is like, I will fill my cup with shame and fear and everybody else's things when God is like, no, you deserve to have a half full cup too. And in fact, let them do their own cup Stop worrying about other people's cups. You worry about your own girlfriend. I was like, okay. (laughs) How about you? I'm just, I'm thinking about it. I'm, I'm trying to think, you know, for me, I can, I can recognize that. And sometimes, sometimes when I'm seeing it, to use this metaphor, this, this cup filling up for me, sometimes I'll just set the cup down and forget about it. Mm. You know, I'm just like, why don't I, well then, well, if it's, if, if there's so much in here and it's jostling around and I'm going to spill and things are going to get bad, I'll just sit down. And stare at it. <laughs> yes. Can't, can't That's a good way to explain it. Self-pres nine. Can't yeah. spill if I'm not moving. But then... Heck, I'll put it on the table. Then I don't have to touch it. Yeah. yeah. And that's that's no good either because then I'm just sitting there and I'm just staring yeah. at it. Or or sometimes I Everybody guess Everybody else is running the race and you're just... Right. Exactly. Yeah. And God, God's calling to maybe something new, but just at, at the very least then what's the next step? Yeah. What's the next thing? And I'm like, I can't take the next step. I got to, do you see this? Emily Freeman, I think is her name, wrote a book, The Next Right Thing. Mm. Um, so also, yeah. Anna sings a song about it in Frozen 2. <laughs> I was say, Frozen 2. Um, Bob, I'm sure Bob Goff. Bob Goff! Bob Goff, I love you. <laughs> love does. Uh, so one of the things, that, and I'll say for me, um, I'm so afraid of people adding more stuff to me that I tend to want to decrease it because I, I don't, I'm, it's that fear of missing out or fear of doing it wrong. Um, so the last part in this, and, and if you get a chance, and, and we talked about the reason why we go to church and that there's a synergy that takes place is that, yes, we want you to belong. We ultimately want you to believe so that we can become more like Jesus. But the synergy comes in place like this. Yes, I belong to church. And let's say I become a Christian. Well, now I believe in Christ and now I belong to his family. And now I'm becoming like Jesus, which then actually feeds into me belonging greater to the church and becoming and believing more in Jesus and then becoming more like Jesus. And when we're doing this well, it feeds us and it fuels our faith. And I wonder how many people, their faith is stale because they've stopped becoming that process. And And then, or they do become, and then they feel like they've arrived. And instead of belonging deeper into the community of faith and then believing increasing and if we want momentum as a church, that's what God's calling us to. But here is the bigger part. The reason why we go to church, too many people go to church and they, they go as a checkbox or when they feel like it. And this is what from Sean Aker, Acor, Aiken, Acor, whatever his last name is, mm-hmm. Sean something. Acor, he is an expert on happiness. And I shared this towards the end of the message mm-hmm. is these mirror neurons that if someone yawns, that's why when somebody yawns, we yawn. We actually are connected with these neurons in our brain are meant to mirror each other. Well, I believe the same is true of love. Yeah. And I wonder if, if Zion became a church where when people walked in, they went, oh my gosh, not only do I feel like I belong, but I, I see their belief and I see their becoming. And I wonder if that might have a mirror effect in our own lives. And now all of a sudden I want to belong more and I want to belong yeah. more. And the reason why we need church is we help each other become more like Jesus. I think that's that. that's the wisdom of James saying that you know, show me a faith without deeds and that's a dead faith. It's not so much show me an empty checklist. It's show me people that don't show love and I don't see their faith. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's the wisdom of James. Yeah. You you never, yeah, I was going to say, you you certainly 
don't stop becoming your entire life. You know, if you do, you've got a problem. You've got a problem. That's an easy one for me to identify. But you also really never stop learning how to believe or, or that you or belong or how to belong. Yeah. You know, like when you did that cycle, you know, belong to believe to become. And then it just kind of it really does. It really does cycle through each and one of those. And in growing in Christ is learning again how to belong or that you do belong to Christ and that you are his and that, yeah. So. And that's how we gain momentum. Yeah. And and I think one of the things, and I, I want to end with this here just because for the sake of time, but I look at what God's doing in Zion right now and it's been really fun to be seeing new people. Yeah. And they're excited. Like there are people who are, I, they've come to me like, dude, I, this place is great. God's doing awesome things. But when you become comfortable with something much like in marriage or anything else, you lose that excitement. Yeah. And maybe that's part of the reason why it's so good that we have new people coming is because their excitement actually becomes contagious yeah. for us. Yep. You want to mirror that. Yeah. And I really want my hope for Zion. My prayer is, is that when people come, they see a community that isn't excited about religion. That's we're passionate about Jesus. Yeah. Um, because I don't, I don't need more religion in my life. I need more Jesus in my life. Yeah. And that is contagious. You look at churches that are growing and churches that people are excited. You can tell people are just excited about what God is doing. And that's the danger when you've been raised in church or you've gone to church for a long time and you've lost sight of this new vision or value of belong, believe, become. I think that's the goal is to build momentum. Mm -hmm. And I've had, I had one person who came and I just asked them, I said, Hey, how did you feel coming? Did you, did you feel connected? Oh my gosh, I felt so welcomed. And I'm planning on coming back. I said, awesome. Can, can I, you know, I'd love more feedback because that's the intentionality. Yeah. Um, well, this has been fun. You know what I'm really excited for? If you're listening to this next week, we're actually starting our new series, Passport Series, yeah. where we're going through the book of Galatians. Mm -hmm. And we've actually got cool booklets that were designed by uh, Kyla and our communications team. And uh, I'm really excited about this, but we're going to go through the book of Galatians and then we're, that was going to bring us all the way up to Christmas. Yay. And uh, I can't believe we're so close, but there's some really cool things coming up. Um, we've got the parenting event, the parenting event, which you're going to be talking on grace-based yeah, discipline. Yeah, when we were talking about that discipline of punishment and we were talking about, well, it's not, that's not what God has for discipline. And I'm really excited. So if you're curious about that, come on in. I think it'd be fun. We'll do a podcast with Jason Bone, who's also yes. a guest speaker in you. That would um, be and cool. we'll bring you guys in and talk a little bit about what's coming up with yes. that. Well, hey, thank you so much for tuning in to the Breakthrough Breakdown. Uh, if you found this helpful, uh, share a comment, share it with a friend. I'm Jason. I'm Kate. I'm Kyla. And I'm John. Have an awesome day. Thank you for listening to the Breakthrough Breakdown, a Zion podcast. Make sure to follow us on Spotify, Apple Music, and check out the Zion app. Share this episode with your friends so they can tune in as well. We'll be back next Wednesday with another installment of the Breakthrough Breakdown.